Greetings, my friend. I see you have returned to our little haunted domain. Once more you seek up the unknown and the mysterious, eh? Once more you wish for the ghosts and ghouls and goblins to enter the library of secrets and pluck down from the bookcase of mystery a half-forgotten volume of erotic memoirs. Or perhaps a ghost story. Who am I to judge? Welcome back, my friend, to Tales from the Tombstone Tavern! the moon landing, I tell you. I understand you have a special relationship with the moon. This has nothing to do with it. It is a purely rational, unbiased strand of our discussion to conclude that Stanley Kubrick directed The Shining to apologize for having faked the moon landing. Extraordinary. Right? I can actually feel myself getting stupider the longer I listen to you. Oh, what do you know? Yes, what would a ghost know about the world's most famous cinematic ghost story? Well, it's not really a ghost story, is it? Thank you. It's really sort of a post-Lovecraftian work. What? Why doesn't everybody accept the obvious truth that the U.S. government hired the director of Lolita to fake the moon landing, and several years later, he felt bad about it, so he adapted a Stephen King novel by way of apology? What on earth do you mean it's not really a ghost story? Well, it's just that the ghosts are never the threat. The threat is the effect they have on the mind of Jack Nicholson. I feel like Jack Nicholson's mind is a threat at the best of times. Oh, and not to mention the whole atmosphere, the unknowable doom, all the stuff about the the Overlook's impossible architecture. Sorry? Oh, the whole set literally doesn't make sense. It doubles back on itself and... None of this changes the fact that the central catalyst is a haunting. A haunting prompted by the unquiet dead. Those whose graves were desecrated by the hotel's construction and those murdered in the hotel. They're moon ghosts. What does that mean? I feel like it's self-explanatory. The only thing the ghosts ever do is open the meat locker. Otherwise, it's all about a supernatural thing, the origins of which are never made clear, which drives people insane. That's, I'm sorry, Shirley, but that's classic Lovecraft. Oh, please, you just want another claim to horror immortality. Hey, now that's... The Shining is a ghost story, and if there's anything Lovecraftian in it, the fact that it's implicit rather than explicit proves that his particular brand of spookiness is outdated. I'll grant he was the initial response to gothic horror, but he's hardly the central figure of the modern movement. The modern movement? Call it what you like. I call them moon ghosts. There's no coordinated movement in modern horror. It's lots of different ideas and images. The only thing it has in common is the origin point. Lovecraft. Yeah, I am... I I don't know about that, Annie. What do you mean, Adam? Well, um, it's it's just... uh, Never mind. No, no, please, we want to hear it. Uh, Yeah, go on. I I just... uh, Hmm. Well... It feels like you're getting the causality wrong. Like, if you look back to where I come from. Ah, Geneva. Land of Horace. What? No, 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 I, I meant the book. Oh, right. I'm out then. I can't read. Then how did you know it was set in Switzerland? Doesn't everybody? It just screams Swiss. Please continue, Adam. Okay, well, uh, here's here's how I figure it, right? Um, 
any stories people tell, they uh, they they come from what's around them. I mean, you know, context and all that. And ghost stories or monsters, well, death and religion, those those, those are always with folks, always. But different times have different fear. And the world started to look a whole lot different as soon as folks moved into cities and castles became ruins. Where are the last gasps of the old world? An interesting notion, but why then do people still tell ghost stories? Why aren't werewolves and vampires forgotten? Why is every archetypal haunted house some gargantuan Victorian relic? Well, um... I'll fill this. You see... Are you about to try to connect this to Flat Earth somehow? No. Lizard people? Hey, I'm a wolf person. It's not that unreasonable. What is it with you and conspiracies? They make me feel like a smart boy. I need that sometimes. My question remains unanswered. Well, I... I guess scary stories changed the moment folks discovered electricity. Uh, instead of, you know, ghosts all around them, it became about how everything was uh, was changing before their very eyes. I mean, Lovecraft was a part of that for sure, Annie. Like, the fear that no matter how clever any scientist was, there was always something he wouldn't understand. But that's just a part of it. I reckon almost all of it boils down to two things. Being scared that this shiny new world won't last and is just about ready to slide back into the darkness of days past, or... Well, being scared of that brave new world itself. Of the changes. Fear, in other words, of the modern Prometheus. Yeah, I, uh, I guess so. Not bad, Frank. Sorry, Adam. There's something to that. Forgive me, but I remain skeptical. Annie here was making the mistake of filtering everything frightening and contemporary through one lens. Her lens. The one most favorable to her. I can't help but feel like you're doing the same thing. Not every scary story is a crisis of modernity, you know. Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? A scary story competition to prove who's still on top. Naturally, we're all going to be biased. A competition works on the basis of competing. That's deep, bro. What I'm saying is that if I'm to believe Frank really... Sorry, Adam, about the idea that all the horror people consume these days descends from his story, that it's all about modernity. I think I'm going to need a little more narrative proof. Oh, uh, well, um, I, uh, I wasn't quite expecting to tell a story just yet, but, um, You see, uh, when I think about scientific horror shows, my mind turns to the B-pictures of the 1950s. Radiation creating giant ants or awakening Godzilla, or mad scientists combining themselves with flies. Colourful imagery, to be sure, but hardly the stuff of contemporary nightmares. Well, I mean... But that's just because you weren't a teenager in the 1950s. I'm unconvinced she was ever a teenager. If these stories don't hold anything, Cronenberg wouldn't have updated them. You can add gore to anything to make it scary. It doesn't prove a thing. I'm sorry, why are we adding gore to... I wasn't listening. I was thinking about gore. And the moon. Go on, Adam. Show him. Okay. Uh, well, uh, there is... There is this one story I had in mind. How much blood is there? I, um... I'm not fussed. You can give it to me in metric or imperial measurements. It's it's not really that kind of... um... I was told there would be gore. No, you weren't. You said yourself you weren't listening. Don't quote me back to myself in context. Guys, please. Wolfie, there is some gore. Excellent. Okay. Okay. We all, uh, listening? Alright. Okay. Let's begin. There's this idea that work is a substitute for religion for some people. 
I think that's true. Not for everyone, but for the right folks in the right situation. Now, the curious thing about making work your religion is that even if you reckon he does answer your prayers, God tends to go handle things roundabout. I, I mean, it's rarely explicit. Spiritual fulfillment, all that stuff exists on the margins. It's kind of intangible. You have to feel your way through. But if work is your religion, well, that's measurable. You pray to and for specific outcomes, and you always know the answers. In many ways, I think the silence of God is a comfort. If he constantly spoke back, it would just get too damn loud. This is, sorry, I'm getting off track here. I want to introduce you to someone. Someone whose work is his religion, but more than just, you know, it being a, uh, a ritual thing, his work is beliefs. Beliefs in the betterment of mankind and the importance of doing just that. You see, it's like I said, when you worship your job, and if your job gives you reasons and values to worship it, well, we'll see. I want you to meet Dr. Jay Bowman. Damn it! Jay's a biological engineer by trade and by spirit. He's a, well, he's what I meant. See, when Jay was eight, his dad went into the hospital, and when he came out, he couldn't walk no more. The bone cancer in his right leg had spread into the nearby blood vessels, and there weren't no other ways about it. The leg had to go. Jay's dad followed it two years later when the cancer recurred. He never forgot that time in his life. The first day he saw his dad with part missing. Or the first day he never saw his dad again. Those are the images that have been with Jay forever. Well... Those and one other. A week or so after his dad's leg went when he was still trying to grapple with it, he was walking around the beach up near Fort Tilden, and in the rock pools up, up away from the summer crowds, he found something. Something that lodged behind his eyes and stayed there ever since. A starfish. Two of them, or one, depending on your point of view. Not far from each other, in the same rock pool, a starfish had lost an arm which it had started to regrow. But next to that starfish, the arm had begun to grow into a whole starfish of its own. And Jay was a smart kid. He figured out what had happened, and it got a hold of him, and it never lit up. And Jay's whole life has been about bringing his dad back, about the idea of regeneration, about trying to harness that weird thing in nature and bring it to people, the gift of healing, of immortality. But if there's one thing nature abhors more than a vacuum, it's overreach. Come here, Slugger. You were great out there. I was so proud. Can we go to McDonald's now? Yes, we can go to McDonald's now. You earned it. Do you like playing baseball? I guess. You guess? Why aren't you sure? Well, I like playing with Dad. Yeah. I bet you do, kiddo. But those other kids are pretty fun to play with, too, aren't they? Yeah. Why doesn't Dad come to watch me anymore? Sweetie, we talked about this, remember? Daddy's real busy right now with his work, so just... For the moment, he, he's got to keep working. And then when he's done, he'll be running right back here to throw the baseball with you. Well, when will he be done? Soon. 
I promise. What do you say we go get McDonald's, huh? Okay. Okay, you'll see. I bet Daddy's almost, almost done with his work pumpkin. In fact, I bet he's this close. You are this close to being terminated, Bauman. You have spent the last five years obsessively pursuing this crackpot regeneration theory of yours. Neglecting your students, your faculty obligations, failing to adequately contribute to your peers' work. It hasn't been time wasted. Ah, hasn't it? Then what exactly do you have to show for it, Bauman? You know, I never cared for the obsessive genius archetype, nor the neglectful one. I think they're interesting stories lonely, grumpy people tell themselves in order to justify the way they treat others in search of glory. Great discoveries aren't made by isolated geniuses who ostracize everyone. They're made by teams or by intercession. The more you push everyone away... I've always acknowledged my forebears. I I haven't neglected them. Shaveri, Shavastava, you know I've been in long-term correspondence. Not the point, Bauman. You have no personal relationships in this faculty. Your attention to your students is close to non-existent. And while you have contributed good research on EGR and its associated genetic determinants, you've been going too far down this wormhole for too long. Extraordinary behavior requires extraordinary results to be justified, and they're just not there for you. Dean, I really believe I'm on the verge of... You have been on the verge for years. You're a bright man, but you have become a poor professor. There are two paths for you. Either you go home and you forget this obsession. You put it on hold. You concentrate on fulfilling your obligations to this institution and to your faculty. Or Columbia University will terminate your grant and you will be moved off campus. Is that clear? Crystal. Mike missed you. Yeah. Did you hear what I said? Your son wanted to know where you were. And why did you tell him? What did I tell him? The same thing I've been telling him for the past two years as your career has become your obsession. Soon. Just hold out. Just wait. Daddy's busy right now, but he'll finish up soon. Okay. So what's the problem? The problem? You told him the truth. Bullshit I did! I told him the same lie I've been spending for two years to cover your ass while you ignore both of us and lock yourself in the basement, hacking away at fucking starfish. I really don't want to do this right now. Well, that's just too bad, Jay, because I really do. What do you want me to say? Do you want me to apologize for having a goal? For pursuing it? Fuck that, Jillian. Fuck you! I want you to consider for half a second that something exists outside of you and your obsessions. My obsessions are the reason we have this house. And if I follow them through, they will change things for every person on this planet. Yeah, sure, great. Sir, if your obsessions have led to such great things, why were you called in to see Dean Yeager on a Sunday, Jay? A promotion of some kind, I trust? Tenure? I figured. I don't know, Jay. I just... I don't even think I'm angry anymore. Or even disappointed, really. I'm just... tired. Figured out. If I or your son mean anything to you, figure it out. Quick. There are moments in people's lives which can best be described as crossroads, and Jay Bauman was at one of those. 
At a crossroads like this, your best and worst impulses meet head-on. In the middle of a storm, as everything, all the people in your life, all your memories, all your hopes and fears for all possible futures, they swirl around you like the winds out on a Kansas plain. So, Jay went to the one place where he'd found the most clarity in his life. He drove out to the beach to Fort Tilden, and as the sun set over the Atlantic, he stared at the starfish in the rock pools, and he knew what he had to do. Jay worked late that night, shut in his basement, and poring over his notes. He was formatting and reformatting the RNA sequences, concentrating on this like he'd never concentrated on anything before. Then, when he was certain that it was flawless, or at least that any flaws that there were were the kind he'd never be able to spot even with a magnifying glass, he picked up the syringe and stuck himself in the left arm. Then he waited. An hour passed. Two. Then three. That should be enough time. And if it wasn't... Well, he'd be the one to find out. Jay rolled up his sleeve and stretched his left arm into the moonlight. Then, with his right hand, he held a machete high and brought it crashing down. There are some kinds of pain so intense you don't even think you're feeling anything at all. Jay stumbled. He slipped in his own blood, just pooling at his feet faster than he ever thought he could bleed. Somewhere in the back of his mind, he realized that he'd, he'd gotten blood all over his own shirt and that his stump was spraying it at a genuinely alarming rate. And, and dimly, he registered a small, fleshy tube on the ground, glowing in the moonlight, something that used to be his left arm. He'd left his watch on it. Black shapes crept into the edges of Jay's vision. This was foolish, beyond foolish. The blood loss alone. Why had he done this alone? Why the hell had he... But he knew why. And it was too late. Jay Bauman passed out in a pool of his own blood, about two meters to the right of his own left arm. And two hours later, he woke up. Steadying himself on both arms, Jay slowly climbed to his feet. Hang on. Both arms. Moving his head as though it were underwater, scarcely daring to believe it was possible, Jay craned down and saw the miracle he dedicated his life to. Oh my god. Oh my god. I... Holy shit. I can't believe it's there. It's all there. His old arm was lying on the floor, pallid and dead. Naturally, Jay went to pick it up. I can't believe it. Let's get the watch of you. After all these years. Hang on. What's this? Some sort of series of tendril-like growths emanating from the back of the amputated limb. Oh, they seem to be pulsing slightly. Hmm. Okay, that uh, will require further study. Into the fridge with you for now. Okay. Now that I have my watch back, let's see. 5 a.m., approximately, anyway. I... I know where I need to be.
did it, Dad. I did it. Dean Yeager! Dean Yeager! Hmm? Oh, Bauman. What are you doing here? What? What do you mean? Well, I was talking to Professor Brown about you regarding our uh, conversation the other day. He said your wife had called you in sick. Well, glad to see it's not too serious, I suppose. Oh, uh, by the way, those, uh, those notes you sent in this morning. I, while I must say I'd prefer if next time you didn't email me your work directly, uh, go through the proper channels and all that, it was very impressive. Very, very impressive, Baumler. I... I'm not sure I follow. The notes you sent me this morning on genetic modification. Not just your regeneration stuff, but everything. If, uh, if what you're talking about in there is right, hell, Bauman, I apologize. It would seem you're on the verge of making CRISPR look like an astronomical clock. <laughs> Dean, I've only been working on regeneration. <laughs> Nothing else. And Well, I, I mean, the results are extraordinary, but... I didn't send you anything. And I, I, I haven't spoken to my wife since yesterday afternoon. I can't imagine why she would have called to say I was sick. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Listen, your head must be scrambled like anything after what you pulled last night. I can't imagine. I mean, that was all last night, right? Must have been, huh? Otherwise, you would have sent it in ages ago. Go home. Get some rest. We'll, uh... We'll talk this through later. And Bauman... My apologies again. That really, really was impressive. Hello? Did you call the university and tell them I was sick? Jesus, Jay. Yes. You heard me make the phone call. What's with this? Why? Why? What the hell do you mean, why? I, I mean, why would you do that? Jay, you told me to. What's wrong? I... I didn't tell you to. Fine. You didn't tell me to. It was still your idea, smartass. What? Jay, what's going on? Are you feeling okay? Don't tell me you're actually sick. No. No, I'm, I'm fine. Where do you think I am? Well, uh, ten minutes ago you were here at home with me after I dropped Mike at school. And then you left to go buy champagne. Champagne? Hey, don't blame me. Your idea again. Are you sure you're okay, Jay? Jillian, why? Why would I go buy champagne? Jay, what's going on? Don't you remember this morning? Everything we talked about? Of course I do, Jillian. I'll be right home. Jillian? Mike? The basement. Someone's in the basement. Ow! Fuck! The door scratched me.
Jay. I... What? I was wondering when you'd arrive. You're... Me. I mean... You... You look exactly like me. Yes, I do. What are you? I'm the afterbirth. Where's Julian? What have you done to her? What have I done to her? <laughs> you should talk. I've apologized, Jay, for your sins, your failings. I've groveled and I've pleaded, and I've convinced her that today I would play hooky so that we could just stay home and just talk like we used to. And in that spirit, I went out to go and buy champagne. Where is she? I knew it was only a matter of time before you came stumbling back into things. Though, I suppose I should have moved to lock you out sooner. I just couldn't help reveling in existence, you know? Life! It's quite something. You ought to try it. I'm not gonna ask her again, where the fuck is my wife? <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> you think I'd lift a finger against her? You think I'd do anything but worship and adore her? After what you put that woman through, Jay, I'm not doing a damn thing but being the gentlest, most accommodating husband possible. After it became clear that she'd be racing home, I bought her a spa treatment, insisted she enjoy herself, brooked no argument, and told her I'd be waiting when she returned. She was surprised, of course, put up some measure of protest, but, well, after the past two years, I think she was happy to go along with anything that wasn't outright callous. You're the arm, aren't you? And I sound like you. I look like you too. Walk, talk, all of it. But I'm not you, Jay. I'm better. Like hell, I made you. Made me? Did Arthur Fleming make penicillin? No. He was the conduit. Right place, right time, credit where it's due. He realized what he had and even begged his friends to have a go at synthesizing it. But say the moment he found penicillin, it spoke back to him and announced, Hello world, I'm here to cure syphilis. I feel like we might have to give the mold a tad more credit in that scenario. You're a regenerative copy, a clone genetically identical to me. You're a fucking byproduct of my research. I have all your memories, asshole. All your knowledge, but what I don't have... Oh, you poor son of a bitch. Everything's so murky for you, isn't it? What are you talking about? It's all swirling around you, Jay. All your fears, all your anxieties. Your dad. You can still see him, can't you? Shut up. Dissolved into nothing. The chemo stripping him of any kind of health. Shut up. Every night you hear the way his lungs fucking fail to breathe. That god-awful wheezing like the wind through a dead cage. I said shut up. Oh, Jay. Oh, my poor sweet little boy. So confused. You're just screaming out for daddy, aren't you? I want you out of my fucking house. <laughs> it's not your house anymore. What are you? Are you trying to replace me? No, Jay. I have replaced you. If you... Oh, dear. Having a little trouble speaking, are we? Oh, that would be the reversed engineered RNA sequencer I worked out. It's not hard. Really simple, basic stuff. All you need 
is a guiding molecule, of course. Then, a fairly basic but comprehensive set of Cas9 enzymes. But then, <laughs> you know how gene editing works, right? All I did really was speed the process up. What's happening? A scratch on the door, Jay. You're dissolving. I wrote a sequence that breaks the protein walls of your cells. You're turning into protoplasmic goo. This is murder. Oh, no, 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 no. This, this is self-improvement. I'll be a better you. I'll take care of our wife, of our son. I'll do great work at the university. All you have to do is relax. Think of that beach and die. Jesus. Yeah, Adam. I didn't know you had it in you. Well, I just... Well, um, surely. You satisfied with Adam's quality? Not too shabby. Might one inquire, though. Uh, yeah? That ending. It's rather grim for what I expected from you. Well, um... Scary stories are tragedies. We use tragedies to cope with the unpleasant parts of life. Where'd you get the idea to dissolve them into goo? Well, I, I was just... Um, that rule! I, 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 was, I was just thinking about the idea of primordial soup and... Well, uh, I'm convinced. Good show for the horrors of technology. Cronenberg will be proud. Now, can we talk about something slightly less disgusting? I didn't know starfish could regenerate like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Loads of sea creatures can. I, I mean, I'm no expert, but... I think it's something to do with how many simpler animals tend to live in the ocean. Tell me more disgusting sea creature facts right now. Ah, well, well, uh, sea cucumbers vomit up their entire stomachs and throw them over their food, and that is just how they eat. Oh, my word. That's horrifying. I love it. And uh, there's a kind of jellyfish called the immortal jellyfish, and uh, uh, when it reaches the end of its life cycle, it just turns back into a polyp. So, you know, in theory... As long as nothing eats it or whatever, it uh, it never dies. That's beautiful. Thanks. That means it sucks. Get back to the gross stuff. Wow. Um, I... <laughs> Barnacles have the longest penis proportionate to body length in the animal kingdom. Because they're all hermaphrodites that don't move. So they try to impregnate as many of their neighbors as they can. And he... And the paper nautilus, which is actually a kind of octopus that just looks like a nautilus because the females sometimes create a temporary shell... It doesn't mate through contact, no. The male takes aim at the female from across the sea and fires his cock at her. It swims through the ocean and impregnates the female. For years, marine biologists thought they were parasitic worms. Ernie, my dear, with all due respect... What the fuck? Ancient Egyptians were very enthusiastic, but particular biologists... I've continued some of that interest. Do you have any animal facts that aren't about penises? Um... Forget I asked. Whose round is it? Mine. Mine.
No, no, I insist. Please, it's absolutely my turn. Categorically no, my dear vampire. You are going to let me leave this table. Please don't trouble yourself on my behalf. I assure you, I'm not. Fine. Fine, we'll go together. A very excellent idea. Jolly good. I, uh... I don't know you like sea creatures. Oh, I'm just interested in animals. All sorts. When you're mummified, you begin to have an appreciation for how biology works, you know. Tell me about it. It's exactly the same thing for me. There's something about being the product of reckless medical experimentation. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. You know, I've changed my mind. Tell me more about animal penises. Well, let's start with the prehensile ones. Both the elephant and the dolphin have prehensile penises, but their uses are radically different. The elephant sometimes uses it as a fifth leg to aid with balance, while dolphins have a small hook at the end of theirs, meaning they can actually use it to pick up small objects. Now, ducks, ooh, this is where it gets real scary. Ducks are locked in a sort of evolutionary arms race of the sexes. Scary stories told at night fill our listeners with fright. But, but the tellers best beware. The tellers all had best take care. Because someone who else is listening to all of your weird whispering. He doesn't like your stories, no. And his dislike will only grow. Take care, or you might be destroyed by the listener in the void. Tales from the Tombstone Tavern is written and edited by Dalmata Blanche, directed by Jamie Boucher and produced by me, Amina Hamid. It starred Dalmata Blanche as the narrator and Adam, Joshua Manning as Vlad Dracul, Anna Chedham Cooper as Lady Shirley Edith James, Percival Fagent as Wolfgang the Wolfman, and Senna Briar as Queen Ankh Esenamon, with original music by Sedaris and Sword Coast Soundscapes. Thanks to Arts Council England for their support. Thank you.